Hey there, BreezeLine has a holiday gift just for you. One month of free internet for all your family's gift sites, book flights, and movie nights. Get reliable, fast internet with speeds starting at 100 megabits per second for just $19.99 a month. Plus, free Wi-Fi your way home for the first 12 months. And your first month is free. BreezeLine wishes you all a happy and bright holiday season. If only they could give you a little holiday relief from all the matching family outfits. Service subject to availability. New residential customers and select areas only. Visit BreezeLine.com for complete offer details. Hey, Moxie. Hey, Ruben. We have something big to announce to people today. We do. We, huge. Huge. And you have no idea what we're talking about. Because nope. you never pay attention in staff meetings. I don't. And if you would like to pay attention in staff meetings more, our sponsor, I'm just kidding, we don't have a sponsor. But we are... I don't even go to staff meetings. We have staff meetings? Yes. Every Wednesday. What? At 3 p.m. Well, it's at your house. It, well, I'm not at my house at 3 p.m. on Wednesdays. Oh, that's true. I'm usually in class. Not anymore. You graduated. I don't. Have, I don't even have class. What am I talking about? So you're done. Yeah. But we're expanding. We are. Yes. We are looking for people to come on as blog writers. Yes. We have two spots open. Yes. Uh, we would love to have people come on board and help us write some blogs. Yes, please. Be part of our team. Uh, it, it, it's more of an internship type thing. It's not a paid position. But it is, uh, we do have perks and stuff that we're going to offer eventually. Mm-hmm. But please, if you are interested in writing some blogs, if you're interested in writing in general, and you are on the the uh, pulse of pop culture and yes. life and tacos and friendships, please send us an email at info at thebestfriendshow.com with a writing sample of some blogs. Yes, please do it, because we are running out of things to say. We speak so much that we can't even write things down anymore. Yep. And I've written two blogs. Oh, i got to write some. Yeah, you are late. I'm sorry. I was busy writing a 20-page thesis paper. Uh, that's not important. Mm. It's only a grade. This is, this is life. Yeah. Friendships. Tacos. Tacos. Anyway, so if you're interested in being a blog writer for thebestfriendshow.com, hit us up, info at thebestfriendshow.com. Do it today. Do it now. Do it yesterday. Do it last century. There was no email last Doesn't century. Doesn't matter. There do was it. No, there was no just, blog last century. Just do it. The show didn't just exist last century. Do it. Just do it. Just Welcome to your show. This is You're My Best Friend, a podcast about life and tacos and other things. Mmm, que rico. Tacos. She doesn't even go here. Okay. Awkward. You're listening to You're My Best Friend. Are you ready? With two of my best friends, Maxia. So I thought you were just like the coolest person in the world, and then I met you in real life. I'm I will never know because I don't know what keys are. That was a little weird. Is it Miles Kennedy? Just say it. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> so say it or don't say it. Say it. You're listening to You're My Best Friend with Moxian and Ruben Jai. Well, I am super excited, Moxie. Why are you super excited? We have probably the biggest guest to date. Like large? No, just like most, most well known. Oh. In my opinion. Yeah. But that could change at any time. Who knows? At Anna Kendrick. Yeah, at Anna. Anna <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that works. <laughs> yes, at Anna Kendrick. I would love to have Anna Kendrick on the show. I would love that. She's my spirit animal. I know, right? She's like my soulmate. That and Jennifer Lawrence. Hmm. Hmm. She falls too much. 
Which, <laughs> That's why she's my soulmate. <laughs> y'all will be on the floor the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because we get nothing done. He's be falling all over the place. Yep. Uh, this guest, I'm incredibly proud for us to have gotten this guest so soon into our podcasting venture. Me too. I think it's an incredible, incredible guest, incredible feat for us to have this person. Yeah. And I'm so super excited. Yes, me too. To welcome this person to the show. And I'm excited too because this is a world that I don't know much about. You so know nothing I've about this place. so much. You actually, when I told you that we were going to have a, a professional wrestling uh, personality on the show, uh, you looked at me and you said, like, Brock Lesnar? And I was like, how do you know who Brock Lesnar is? And you said, because UFC. And I'm like, no. not it. Well, yes, Brock Lesnar, but no, not UFC. And you're like, oh, okay. Is this like Tiger Woods? I'm like, no, completely wrong sport. And then you said, it's Donald Trump, isn't it? I said, oh, he was part of wrestling for like a minute. He's not really a wrestling person, though. This is a conversation that we had. Am I supposed to go with it or tell you I don't know who Brock Lesnar is? Well, you're supposed to go with it, but you also don't know who Brock Lesnar is. What's UCF? <sighs> anyway, so we brought we, we invited uh, a gentleman named Eric Bischoff on the show. And yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about why it's so important for me to have him on the show here in a minute. But going into this, I'm going to say this right now. All right. Say it, and then we won't talk about it. Best interview ever. <laughs> Moxie, I am so excited for this person. Are you really excited? I'm, I am so excited. Now, uh, to give a little backstory, I, I don't know if this—I don't know if our guest knows this either. I don't know if I told him this last time. Uh-oh. But um, growing up, I was a huge professional wrestling fan, and uh, I used to watch uh, WWE. And he became the Raw General Manager on air. And uh, I had heard stories about him, and uh, I heard how how much of a of depending on what story you heard, how much of an a hole he was, or how much of a genius he was. And I fell in the camp of believing he was a genius, and I really uh, grew up admiring this person. And so it's a great honor for me to welcome to this show in particular uh, to you're my best friend. Please welcome Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, welcome, man. I'm back, and I'm better than ever. Got a net for me. Thank you. And, and is there a rating for this podcast, or are we like PG rated or G rated, or can we just let things fly? Uh, just, we we can let things fly. We, we'll we'll uh, we'll edit out any cuss words. Um, so just be yourself. Okay. Well, then I'm a then I'm an asshole genius. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I, uh, Eric, honestly, for a long time, I think I'm, I might have told you this for a long time. I I was uh, I admired your career. I admired uh, the work that you did in WCW. Uh, I rooted for you in, in your Hollywood ventures as well. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. Uh, the first thing, first and foremost, I want to ask you, how is 83 Weeks doing? It's really doing well. And I, I, I'm only hesitating because I'm still surprised to hear myself say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a little reluctant to, to go into the, uh, the, the second, you know, because I had a podcast prior to 83 Weeks and it did okay, but it just... You know, it, it really got to the point where it wasn't worth my time. Yeah. And it, it was for no other reason, I think, than chemistry and, and, and timing. We, were on a, we weren't on the right platform. And there was just a lot of things, you know, that made it just okay. Yeah. And when Conrad said, hey, you want, you want to launch another one with me? I, or I may have approached him first. I'm not sure which happened, actually. But 
I was still reluctant because Conrad wanted to focus on the Monday Night War era, which, you know, obviously people kind of associate with me with. Um, and I thought, man, we've been hearing those stories for decades. Books have been written. Documentaries have been done. There's been about 2,000 shoot interviews by everybody, you know, that spent more than five minutes in the wrestling business. Yeah. So I thought, God, people got to be sick of hearing about this stuff. But Conrad was convinced that he had a format and would do the research and make it interesting. And I went along with it because he was so successful with Bruce Pritchard, who's a close friend of mine. And I thought, what the hell, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bank on somebody else's expertise and judgment instead of my own. And I did, and I'm, I'm still surprised. We're probably one of the top two or three wrestling-related podcasts in the world right now. So That's awesome. Yay! Yeah, that's awesome. Because I remember the, the old podcast, you know, Bishop on Wrestling, was cool, you know, but then, you know, I, I listened to the first dozen or so, and then after a while, just it wasn't appointment listening for me. You know, it really was based off of the guests that you had, because I wasn't following wrestling well enough to sit there and, and you know go with it go and listen to your analyst you know your your analyst analyze what's the word analysis analysis thank you <laughs> analysis of, of the current See, that's pro- why you two work together so well yeah it's perfect <laughs> she's she's the brains and the beauty and i'm she's just surfing her, she's surfing on her phone and correcting your vocabulary <laughs> yeah i love it i love it i think she was taking a selfie uh, I was no, I was I was taking a note because it's it's funny that you say you kind of banked on somebody else's expertise and oh knowledge because that's exactly what I do with Ruben. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's the funny thing is I uh, Eric and I I did an interview with Eric I think in 2016 where mm-hmm. we, we kind of dove. Uh, it was it was a last minute thing and I just kind of you know he he was like call me and and I called him and we did an interview and I wasn't really prepared but we it went really well and then. About two months later, uh, Eric actually treated me to some beers, and you know Aww. we talked and hung out. And then I was, I wrote up this proposal for a podcast that I was going <laughs> to email to him. And about two weeks later, after I finished writing it, I'm like, no, he'll never, he'll never go for this. Uh, two weeks later, he announced Bischoff on wrestling with this other guy, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And that guy, and I, I might edit this out. That guy was a tool to me, by the way. I, I, I emailed him, you know, just like to introduce myself, and he was a tool. But. Um, 83 weeks, man. I have not missed an episode in a year, in almost a year and a half. Because, and I didn't, and I was too young to watch WCW. Like, I, I didn't watch any of this stuff live, but the stories. That, brother. Oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You, hey, you don't look a day over 40, man. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's 35, so. <laughs> Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so I do want to I do want to ask, man. Like going through this process of, of going through the heyday uh, of of WCW because you you were the person at the helm of the greatest period of WCW's entire entire run. What does that do for you? Does it bring back good memories? Does it bring back bad memories? Does it make you frustrated? Does it stress you out? Does it you know remind you of how far you've come since since the wrestling business? Like what what's that? Is it therapeutic for you? Tell me tell me about that. <laughs> All the things. All the things. I mean, you know, it depends on on the subject matter. For the most part, you know, kidding aside, I it, it's exciting for me because when Conrad sends me an email, I got an email from Conrad yesterday saying, "Okay, we're going to look at um, Spring Stampede 1999, or, mm-hmm. or yeah, Spring Stampede 1999, or Slambury. I can't remember which. <laughs> now we're going to record we're going to record that episode this Friday, so that means. Probably Thursday evening, I'll go back and I'll watch that pay-per-view because yeah. I haven't seen it since I produced it. You yeah, know, I, I I don't go back and look at things. I don't live in the past, and that's you, you're going to hear that kind of frequently in this discussion. 
I, I literally, once something is done, a project, a relationship, um, an experience at a restaurant, good or bad, whatever the case <laughs> may be, once it's done, it's off my radar. I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes people think that's cold, especially when it comes to relationships. You know, hmm. I'm pretty funny about that. You know, if, 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 if something happens in a relationship, business or otherwise, and I, I decide that that's a kind of a toxic relationship for me or it's not productive in any way, it's just, it vanishes from my consciousness. I no longer think about it. I won't respond to it. I won't, I won't re-engage people or, or situations that I have determined that are just not healthy for me anymore. Yeah. So I, I tend to, I just don't live in the past. I don't live in the past when it comes to really great things either, by the way. You know, I don't spend a lot of time patting myself on the back for, you know, successes. And I don't spend any time, you know, kicking my own ass for things that were less <laughs> successful. So what this process does for me is it forces me to go back and look at something that, quite honestly, I forgot about 20 minutes after I did it. it and when I see it, it's almost like seeing it for the first time. Yeah. Mm. So, whoa, I don't remember that. Whoa, this is great. And, and, and add to that that when I look at things that I produced in the past, whether it's a reality show or, or anything else, or wrestling, um, I look at it from an entirely different perspective now than I did while I was doing it. Because I'm a different person now. I have mm -hmm. more experience now. I have a different perspective on certain things now. My tastes have evolved over time. There's a whole, you know, culture has changed. Things yeah. are, things you could do that would, you know, resonate with an audience in 1996 you couldn't do today yeah. or you did do wouldn't connect or resonate in the same way so when i look at things now i'm looking at them from that perspective which is an entirely different point of view but during the course of that to answer your question specifically sometimes i get frustrated depending on the questions mm -hmm. uh, sometimes i'm entertained sometimes i go oh my gosh i can't believe i did that <laughs> but but it doesn't bother me you know because again it's, it's kind of like looking at your 15 year old self i'm you know I'm not the same as I was when I was 15 or 21 or 35 or 40 or 45. Yeah. I've got a lot more experience now and I've been exposed to a lot more, um, a, a different level of thinking and a different level of creative. So now when I look back, I go, wow, I can't believe we got away with that. <laughs> you know? yeah. or, and some of it, honestly, I look back and I think, you know what? We were so far ahead of our time, it wasn't even funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, um, Eric, part of our part of our podcast is uh, we build it around three signature questions. Okay, um, and my co-host here, Moxie Ann, she is going to go ahead and present to you. Uh, let's let's shuffle it up a little bit. Shuffle uh, it. Yeah, okay. shuffle a little bit. But signature question number one. Okay. Boxers, boxers, Moxie, boxers. Okay. <laughs> that's that's. Uh, Four signature questions. Yeah, we, we just added a, we just added a new one. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Well. I, I love what you're saying about leaving things behind you um, and just kind of moving forward. And um, that sort of that headspace leads into one of our signature questions, which is if you had a life quote, what would it be? Never look back. I just that, never look back. I think that defines Eric. Yeah. Knowing what I know about him and listening to him in enough shoot interviews and podcasts and uh, – he he did a speech recently, not recently, but maybe like two years ago. It was like a two hour long speech, a Q and A session, and every question, uh, what you know, was either a, hey, when you did this, what did you think? And he goes, 
I, I don't really look. I don't think about that stuff. I don't. You know, that's yeah. that, that's a really appropriate thing. Now, for for those who, thus who may dwell on the past, do you have a piece of advice for them to, to be able to move on and move on to the next uh, part of that life and and get to maybe a more healthy spot instead of dwelling on, you know, whatever the failure or even the success was and moving into that next phase of of that life. Yeah, I do, and and I'll, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But you know, I think it's important that when I talk about this to people, um, first of all, my wife has been my Sherpa guidesman through this process. Mm-hmm. She's really the one that has taught me over a long period of time because I'm kind of a stubborn bastard on top of <laughs> you, know, you know, genius asshole, stubborn bastard would probably be. That's 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 one of the things I've heard about you. Good, good bio. Um, and it's taken me a long time, but she's been persistent. And I, I firmly believe that dwelling on your past shortcomings, failures, mistakes, poor decisions, whatever you want to call them, whatever you think you regret, dwelling on those things in, induces paralysis, emotional mm-hmm. paralysis, creative paralysis. Um, it just creates paralysis. Likewise, focusing on your past success does the same thing. Hmm. It may feel a little bit better, kind of, sort of, but if you're stuck in it, if you haven't moved on beyond it, then you're paralyzed. And, and, I, and I think that's a, that's a common thing. I think we're all kind of conditioned. You know, we're afraid of the future. We're concerned about the future. So we're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. You know, we we drag our past around with us like it's a big wagon full of old shit that we feel we need to keep for some reason. All of it slows you down. And I think if you really want to enjoy your life, if you want to be the most creative you can be, if you want to be the happiest you can be, for me, through the help of my wife, here, it's right there. Hmm. Grateful. Grateful. Says grateful, and I had it tattooed on my wrist because it's easy enough for me to remind me when I start turning into something other than I want to be, and I start feeling negative or I'm, you know, angered by something someone said or whatever. I just think about all the things I'm grateful for. Mm. And once for me, I'm not trying to preach to anybody else, I'm just telling you what works for me. Once I, I start feeling negative in any way, or not even negative. Once I feel like I'm not being productive and I'm not moving forward, okay, what am I grateful for? I've got, <laughs> I've got a beautiful wife and two healthy, amazing, wonderful, productive children. Um, everybody's healthy in my family. You know, I have all kinds of opportunities still to this day at this stage in my life when most people are thinking about retirement and most people are kind of packing their shit up and just going to go sit on the porch. I'm not doing that. You know, yeah. I've probably more opportunity, quality opportunity in front of me now than I've had in the last 25 years. And when I realized that, that here I am at 64 years old and I have an opportunity to do some pretty amazing shit that I never thought I would be able to be a part of, I'm really super grateful for that. And once you start focusing on what you're grateful for, and, and you, if, even if it's something as small as the sun is shining today, sometimes I get really grateful about that because I'm affected by the weather. Mm. If it's gray and gloomy for more than two or three days in a row, I start getting uh, <laughs> 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 scared at my wrist all afternoon. You know? <laughs> and people are but, questioning what's going on. There's like, is he trying uh, to tell time? Or? <laughs> he's lost his mind. <laughs> but, but when you when you train yourself 
it, it, it becomes a subconscious thing after a while when you don't feel like you're really making the progress you want to make in, in any level, in a relationship, in a business, in a job, trying to come up with an idea, whatever the hell it is, working out, you know, spiritually, whatever it is, just start thinking about what you're grateful for and all of a sudden the roadblock's clear. Yeah. That's what yeah. works for me. That's awesome. That reminds me of uh, kind of my life philosophy for this season of my life is something that I've been writing on my wrist pretty consistently. And my friends all kind of, they, they disapprove. They very openly disapprove. But the thing that I write on do, my wrist. Do I know about this? I, I don't think you do. Okay. But the, you know, my best friends, all oh. of my best friends. <laughs> um, I write on my wrist, do better, no excuses. Mm. And it kind of reminds me that so many people today they they go by what they feel and they forget that at the end of the day you're in control of your story you're in control of your own mind and you're in control of your own path and i think that it's really important to remember you can do better you can be more you can decide to change it, it is and it's it's funny how easy it is mm-hmm. and when i i'm saying this now believe me if you could have seen me five years ago or even four, three, four years ago when things in my life business-wise weren't going that well. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay, you know this, the television industry has changed so much over oh, the last yeah. five years. I went from making seven figures a year, kind of really calling my own shots, <laughs> rolling great, had all the confidence in the world that was going to continue. And then just, bam, the streaming thing came along. Oh, yeah. And this Netflix thing came along and Hulu and all this <laughs> other stuff. And now all of a sudden the television networks that I was selling television shows to two or three of them a year and making a ridiculous amount of money in the process, all of a sudden that, that market collapsed yeah. mm-hmm. and the markets collapsed along with them. Well, that was a pretty abrupt change to you know yeah. my life. No kidding. I, I had been enjoying at that point for about 10 or 12 years. And it, it took its toll. You know, it was like, okay, I need to reinvent myself. I need to figure this shit out because, you know, life goes on and, you know, I'm not going to make any money walking around the house moping about it and complaining yeah. about it. I'm going to figure out how to adapt to it. So it's easy to say, you know, I can look at a tattoo in my wrist or you can write something down. But it's amazing how hard it is to really change the way you think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So much a part of our subconscious. I would go to sleep at night three, four, five years ago when things were really a little tough. I would go to sleep at night thinking negative things. Mm. I would wake up in the middle of the night having an extension of that negative thought in the form of a freaky nightmare and, you know, not sleeping well at night, things like that. It's really hard to get a hold of your subconscious. That that's the tricky part of it. But once you figure that out, and it's just discipline, it's just like working out, you know, doing yoga you know, running a marathon, whatever it is you, you want to challenge some, yourself to do. Some DDPY? <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that. I've never done that. But oh. <laughs> whatever it is, you, you, you just have to make up your mind. You're going to do it and, and stay consistent. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and go, wow, I feel a lot different about things than I did, you know, a year ago or six months ago or three months ago. Eric, I don't know if you remember this, but just a random side note here: uh, when we, when you and I met in Los Angeles, you know, and you, again, you were so gracious. Do you remember? I, I don't know if you remember this at all, but we sat down. You had a couple beers, and I had like fifteen sodas throughout the <laughs> <laughs> throughout the you know our conversation. We were together for about two hours, yeah. 
And uh, it's funny you're talking about this like mental, you know, this mental change, how difficult it is. And, you know, Moxie knows how many times I tried over the years to like give up soda and just just walk away from soda. You know, as simple as that is. I mean, you know, soda isn't going to necessarily, you know, might not be the reason why you die, but it's definitely going to contribute to you know some health issues, whatever. You know, and one day I woke up one day and I said, you know, I'm I'm done with soda. You know, I'm done. And it took about a week before I was really fully done with soda. But now I wake up and I don't even think about it. I don't go to go out to eat, you know, and think, oh, I, I need a soda right now. It's like, oh, I'll take a water. I'll take a tea. I'll, you know, I'll yeah. take I'll take 17 tequilas instead of a soda, you know, <laughs> like like whatever. But, you know, it, it's it's definitely is that the whole point of this is saying, like, yeah, I, I can connect to that in that way. And other people, you know, connect to it through, you know, other addictions like alcohol or drugs or you know, a, a relationship, sugar, a relationship that they're in that they need to get out of, or you know, a job that they finally need to quit. Um, do you mind if we talk a little bit about uh, the production company? No, go ahead. So I, I, that's you know, for me, um, I look at you as as somebody who who knows their shit, you know, and somebody who, um, for the most part, you know, made really good decisions in in WCW and has you know, you had some great success with the, the production company. Um, you know, you told me that you, you guys dissolved the company about a year and a half ago. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the decision to finally say, "Yeah, this isn't working out, and, and we can't can't keep moving moving forward in this this with this company"? Yeah, sure, I can. Um, it was a tough decision because Jason, Hervey, and I were not only close friends for we were close friends before we started the production company together, but you know, we worked together pretty hard and accomplished you know quite a bit. Uh, from about 2003 till about, really till about 2014, 2015, a little over a decade, we were rocking and rolling and having a blast doing it. And we complimented each other very well. But as I said, you know, about three or four years ago, we started noticing that it was a lot harder to sell shows than it previously had been. For example, I'll just give you some kind of top line examples. Do you remember the show Hulk Hogan Celebrity Championship Wrestling? Yes. On CMT? Mm-hmm. Okay. We sold that show in a room, basically, verbal pitch, no paper pitch, no video, no sizzle reel, mm. no mm. no pilot, no 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 seventeen minute pilot, or <laughs> now some networks ask for a full one our arable pilots. Wow. And wow. none of that. And we got $750,000 an episode for that show. Wow. In today's environment, one is lucky on a new show. Now, once you're a hit, that's a different deal. Mm-hmm. But on a new uh, first run series, non-scripted, you're fighting for your life to get $350,000 an episode. So the budgets completely collapsed, and so did the profit margins along with them. And on top of that, networks were buying fewer and fewer shows. They were taking fewer risks because as streaming was coming along and advertisers were allocating more of their overall annual budget to streaming platforms instead of cable and network, all of a sudden the money that cable outlets had to work with became significantly less, and they had to be more careful with it. So they took fewer risks and they cut the budgets. At that point, Jason and I started as you just looking at the math. Yeah. You know, we were we were each in the 
probably not seven figures, but damn close to it, close enough to call it seven figures if you're going to round up a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're each making close to seven figures a year and have been for quite a while, and that collapsed to probably 20% of that. And all of a sudden, you realize, wow, we can't afford staff. We can't afford this office it's over in Burbank. We can't, you know, we got to, we got to cut down. And that's when we realized that the business model had changed so much that the the partnership that we had that was based on the previous business model no longer worked. And we each had to go our separate ways in order to kind of survive this new evolution of entertainment. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not sure what Jason is doing now. You know, we don't really stay in too close a touch. Um, but, you know, as you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, you know, I've kind of gotten away from television and have moved into more digital platforms. I'm developing my own OTT platform right now and have been for a couple of years. Uh, we're, we're really getting close to being able to launch something soon. Um, feature film business is a lot more interesting to me than I ever thought it would be because I never thought I had the, the, the skill set. Yeah. Or the relationship of Holodex, you know, to break into that world because it's a completely different world than television. Television is its own universe. You know, feature films are its own universe. The language is different. The deals are different. The process is different. Everything's different. And I never thought at this point in my life I'd be knocking on that door, but here I am. And I, I think it was just time. You know, we we had, a, as they say in the wrestling business, we had a hell of a run. <clears throat> we made a lot of money. We had a blast. Made some new friends. But it was time that we just each took our own path. So I, I would like to know about this and I, and you mentioned it recently, uh, actually this last episode of 83 weeks, but, uh, I had actually texted you when the news broke, uh, you're going to be, uh, executive producing a film on the legendary career of Hulk Hogan. Uh, and I believe it's the early career with, was it Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually producing, not executive oh, producing. producing. Okay. And, and in the future, in, a, in the future world, that makes a difference. Uh, as I've learned, I didn't know that. But hmm. it does. You know, television being the executive producer is really the big damn deal, right? Yeah. In the feature world, being the producer is the big damn deal, mm-hmm. unless, of course, you're the director or the star. Yeah. So I, I'm producing along with uh, Michael Sugar. I don't know if you know who Michael Sugar is. Um, he's had a tremendous amount of success as a producer in Hollywood. I think he won an Academy Award for Limelight. Couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, Todd Phillips is the director that's been attached. Todd Phillips is just finishing, I think, post production on The Joker for Warner Brothers as oh, we cool. speak. And uh, Scott Silver is the writer. Um, Scott, uh, in addition to Eight Mile, uh, wrote The Fighter, nice. uh, which is a very, very cool movie. So it's a, it's a kind of an all star cast of. You know, above the line, below the line talent. Obviously, Chris Hemsworth is kind of a you know two billion dollar big deal as of yeah. last week. Yeah. So <laughs> he's going to be playing Hulk Hogan. So that you know, you read about this in Variety. I'm not you know talking about anything that hasn't already been disclosed to the public, and I can't talk about anything more than that, unfortunately, because I'm under an NDA, as you would you would expect. Yes. But it's 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 a very look. It's early in the process, as you read in the magazine article from Variety. You know, there's a long way to go. It's, it's a long process, but just the fact that, you know, I get to talk to these people and, and honestly, I'm going at this, guys. I, I'm like the happiest fly on the wall that ever existed. But it's, it's a hell of an opportunity. But, you know, 
can't remember how this question started, but here I am today, you know, learning to do new shit. Yeah, no, I, that's, I just wanted to get a quick comment on that because I had, I had texted you, hey, can I get a comment for, for an article I wrote about it? And, you know, unfortunately you weren't able to give me one, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad that we were able to. Uh, Moxie, I think it's time for, for uh, signature question number two. Yeah? Yeah. The, the funny one, you think? Well, it's not really funny. It's very serious, actually. Let's do the serious one. The serious yeah. one? Yeah, let's do the serious one. Okay. Do you want me to do, you want me to do it? Or yeah, because okay. I actually don't know which one you mean now. Okay. So, <laughs> so Eric, so a uh, little backstory behind our, our show oh my is uh, she thinks that, you know, everyone that she meets becomes her best friend. You're probably her best friend no, now. No, not everyone. Uh, we, we literally just came from lunch, and you called the waitress your best friend. Uh, and anyway, so <sighs> I don't believe you can have more than one best friend. I think you can only have one best friend. Uh, so the question, one of our signature questions behind this podcast is we want to know what people think about this controversial idea of whether or not you can have more than one best friend. So Eric, outside of your spouse, because I think that that's a, a very special version of a best friend, can you have more than one best friend, in your opinion? Oh, you know, that's deep. I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that deep of a guy. <laughs> let's get him. Let's get him some yeah. weed, and he will be. <laughs> uh, I joke about weed, but I don't really smoke it much. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Occasionally, but um, let's get him some yerba mate tea then. You no know, yerba mate. I'm all over that. Yeah, <laughs> I just had about a half a pot of it um, about an hour ago. Nice. Um, you, you know, I, outside of my family, because I'm very close to my son and my daughter, mm-hmm. and it's different than what one might expect as a son of Nikki. Stop. She's my best friend too. <laughs> now, my son and my daughter are very much my best friends as well as my wife. It's a very, very tight family. Right. And I don't think of my son. I, I be careful how I say this. I don't think of my son. I, I would imagine the way most people think of a son or a daughter I think of my son and my daughter as my closest friends mm. and I relate to them that way because now they're adults. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be their protector anymore. Every once in a while they'll call me up and ask for some advice. Not often because they're really smart kids and they've developed well on their own kids. They're adults and they're so stable and so smart and so talented. They don't need me that much in, in terms of a father figure, but we're very, very close, very close. Now, outside of my immediate family and my dog, <laughs> I would say I'm friends with a lot of people. Not a lot, actually. I'm friends with a few people I consider friends. But if I had to pick one, and this is in, in by picking this person, it would be because this is the guy that no matter how good things get or how bad things are, we stay in touch which kind of thins out the herd, by the way. Mm-hmm. Everybody's your buddy when things are going great. Mm. Yeah. It gets yeah. real freaking lonely, you know, when things aren't. But Hulk Hogan and I, have all, we've, we've ridden the wave together. You know, yeah. the absolute best of times is the absolute worst of times for him and for me. Yeah. Um, we've ridden that wave together, and we're still here. So if I had to pick one, it would be him outside of my family. But at the same time, there were other people that I see. That I, I, I love them to death. GDP and I are close friends. I don't talk to him, but maybe two or three times a year because I don't like to talk on the phone. And he loves to talk on the phone. <laughs> it's just 
overwhelming how much he loves to talk on the phone. <laughs> but when I see him in person, it's like, you know, two minutes went by since the last time I saw him. Yeah. Booker T is, is Booker T is a good friend of mine. Ric Flair, um, you know, so many uh, of, of those guys that I see. Scott Hall, believe it or not, X-Pac, you know, Sean hmm. Walt. These are people, when I see them, I feel a special way because I have a special bond with them. But they're not people that I stay in touch with on a regular basis, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, and that's what I thought your answer was going to be was going to be, you know, because I know I've heard, you know, I don't know personally, but I know that you and Hulk have always been tight. I remember watching this old, uh, this old thing uh, that WCW put out about the NWO. It was a, it was a VHS tape. It was like an hour long. Uh, the NWO is a wrestling thing. I'll tell you about it later. She has, she's not much of a wrestling fan. I know fan. nothing, by the way, so yeah. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm asking a lot of the wrestling questions. Uh, but I remember you, you were sitting on this bike, and you looked up at the camera, and you said, Hulk Hogan bought me this bike. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that always rem- like that stuck in my head as something, thinking, wow, these guys are really friends. And this is back 15, 20 years ago when I first saw this. It was, it was in 1995. Or, or it was, it was, yeah, it was in 1995. He bought me a 1995 Harley Davidson Bad Boy and had it shipped to my house for a Christmas present. Yeah, and didn't Aww. you recently just auction that off? No. No, 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 no. I, actually, my son has it in Florida. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, had the, I had the NWO chopper. Oh, that's what it um, was. And I put that up up for auction, but I, I decided to hold on to it. I didn't oh, want to get. I don't ride it. Yeah. It's actually in, it's actually sitting in Arizona, and I it's being well taken care of. But I don't ride it anymore. But I yeah. can't get myself to get rid of it. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a very sentimental piece. Eric, you and I will both be in Vegas uh, in a couple of weeks for a little small event called StarCast. Uh, I'm going as a as a patron uh, and hopefully as a press member. I'm hoping that they're, they're going to do some press passes. But you're going to be there uh, entertaining all of us wrestling fans. Uh, you guys have a, a Nitro rep- retrospective, I believe, uh, with Guy Evans and, and the Nitro book. Uh, what are you looking forward to in, in Vegas at StarCast? Sushi. <laughs> Is that, your, the, is that your way of telling me that I owe you sushi? <laughs> no, you don't owe me anything, brother. But I, I love sushi. I, I love good food. And mm. it, it's funny. When I was much younger, I would go to Las Vegas and I lo- would look forward to all of the decadent, sinful attractions that Las Vegas had <laughs> to offer. And, and and I, you know, that was a big part of it. You go to gamble, you go to the crazy horse, you go here, you go there. So it was one big, crazy, you know, fun party when you're young. Now when I go, I go to hotels that don't have um, gaming on the floor because I hate listening to slot machines going off all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like to walk through smoke-filled casinos. I like quiet. Mm-hmm. I like peaceful when I go to Las Vegas, which is kind of unusual. But I also know that, you know, when I go to Las Vegas, the best Italian food, the best Japanese food, the best Korean food, the best all kinds of American food, the best steakhouses, the best of anything that you want from a from a food perspective, other than being in New York City, is in Las Vegas. Hmm. And it's all in one concentrated little area. So over the course of four or five nights, I'm going to be able to hit some magnificent restaurants. Nice. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. Now, 
business-wise, you know, StarCast is an incredibly successful and energizing event. And I love going because it's this really cool mixture of an entirely new wrestling audience, really young guys that are into the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and, you know, you know the whole AEW, you know, cast of characters and, and performers. And that's a whole new wrestling audience. It's like yeah. the next generation that, you know, many of them weren't even alive when I was doing Nitro. <laughs> or they're like Moxie. They have no idea what it was. <laughs> But they come together with, with also a group of wrestling fans who have been fans for 20 or 30 years. So you get this young and old, this diverse mixture of, of fan base that to me is kind of exhilarating and fun to be around. I feel young again when I'm around mm -hmm. that young audience. It changes the way I look at things, which I'm appreciative for. It influences my outlook in, in a positive way. So I, I kind of, I'm looking forward to that. It's like going and getting, you know, recharged in a way. And it's always fun meeting fans. And, and I love to entertain. You know, if I'm up on stage for 15 or 20 minutes and I can pay, make people laugh or give them information or a point of view that maybe they never had before because they never heard it from that perspective, whether it was about business or whatever, um, that to me is really rewarding. But most of all, I just... I like people. I like watching people have fun. I, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely the unfunniest person you've ever met in your life. I have no sense of humor. <laughs> I don't. I just flat out don't. I can't tell a joke to save my life. I can't remember a freaking joke to save my <laughs> life. You tell me the funniest joke. I can wet myself here doing this 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 interview, and. By tomorrow morning after breakfast, I won't remember what made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Does it work in my head? But, you know, wrestling stories in and of themselves are inherently kind of funny yeah. because the characters in those stories are over the top, you know, on camera and off. And the situations that we've all seen on the road are mind-blowingly ridiculous. So to be able to tell those stories for a guy that's not funny and has no sense of humor – and be able to tell those stories and watch people laugh. It's like, whoa, yeah. I can't do this. Now, other than telling a wrestling story, I couldn't put 12 people in a comedy club unless right. they were hammered. But in a wrestling environment, I can talk about wrestling stories that people hear and laugh. And it, it makes me feel good. And it, I don't I just like it. Yeah. No, it's fun. And, and I hope I hope we run into each other in Vegas. Because um, I, I have a I have to I'm buying another uh, copy of Controversy Creates Cash. Uh, just so you can sign it, because uh, it's it's been a lifelong a lifelong dream of mine to have uh, an Eric Bischoff signed book. Well, don't buy one, brother. I got a whole garage. I got about four thousand of those motherfuckers sitting in my garage. So, just I'll bring one for you. Uh, all right. Well, I will. Uh, I will send you twenty bucks for it at least. So that way, you can get a royalty out of it. Like I said, I've got a whole garage. Here's a little story. So when. You know, after the book was published and everybody figured, okay, we've sold as many of these books as we, we're going to sell. WWE had about three thousand of them. Oh my gosh! You know, in their warehouse. So Bob Ryder, who I used to know when I worked with TNA, somehow he found out about that WWE was selling these books for like two dollars a piece. Oh. Oh wow. And these were the hardcovers, brand new, still in the box. Dang. And that's what I said, Moxie. Yeah. I said, dang. 
I thought, well. <laughs> Is that all you said? <laughs> I said, dang. Well, no, I said, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to place your order. But I bought all of those books thinking, well, I can sign them, you know, for autographs and take them to, you know, signings. and things. I should be able to get rid of 4,000 books pretty easily. I got about 3,500 of them left. So wow. Give me one. Wow. And by the way, it was back in 2009. So. Oh, so it's been 10 years. All right. Well, uh, yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll text you the week beforehand. Like, yo, remember my book. Uh, <laughs> That'll be fine. We'll do that. Uh, all right, Eric, it's time for uh, signature question number three. This one's a bit more fun. Uh, so, Moxie, take it away. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing you talk about the food in Vegas because that's one of my favorite things, too. Um, I think last time I was in Vegas, we were, I was on tour with my band and we didn't we. She was like, also 12. I No, I was 17. <laughs> we jogged to the CVS to get medicine for our drummer, and then we stayed up until 2 a.m. eating brownie sundaes. So that was my favorite part of Vegas as well, was the food. Um, I guess I have two questions. Uh, is there a good taco place that you know of in Vegas? No. No, and truth be told, I haven't been back to Vegas now. It's been... Six years, seven years since wow. I've been back to Vegas. So I'm sure there's all kinds of new restaurants there. Yeah. The last time I was there, it was on the strip. It was kind of across the street from the Harley Davidson Cafe. They didn't serve tacos there. But it was some of the best Irish food I've ever had in my life. Nice. Wow. It was, and I love our good our traditional Irish food. I love Irish food. Um, but tacos, which I, I'm a huge fan of Mexican food. I love Mexican food. But I haven't been back to Vegas, you know, enough to know if there's anything new in town. Here's what I'm going to do: I'm going to go to the Food Channel. Oh yeah, because they have all those diners, drive-ins, and dive shows. Yeah. And Guy Fieri or Fieri or whatever the frick his name is, <laughs> he's always checking out some of the best little Mexican dive bars around the country, Mexican restaurants, family-owned, small ones. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to. That's the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to check. I'll go there and I'll say, okay, where. Diners, drivers, and divers, Mexican food, Las Vegas. Nice. And I get, I guarantee you five of them will come up. And yeah. I'll hit one of them. Nice. Okay, well, then that leads into our signature question, which is, what's your favorite taco? I'm a tr- I love traditional stuff. Okay. I, I, I love a – you know, traditional Mexican taco is not like a taco you're going to get in an American restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it smells different. It's prepared differently. I, just, I love traditional Mexican food, really. Uh, I'll eat, you know, you can't find that. You know, I, when I lived in Phoenix, I could find it. It was awesome. I lived in Phoenix for about six or eight years. Mexican food was outstanding. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you guys are. You can find. Here, here's the deal. I, here's my rule with Mexican food. When I, when I have the luxury of, of following this rule, if I'm in L.A., for example, um, or Phoenix, or... Vegas, I'll only go to Mexican restaurants that are family owned. Mm-hmm. I prefer that no one in the restaurant speaks English. Yep. Even if they can, I don't want to hear it <laughs> because it makes it feel more traditional to me if they don't speak English. Like if I walk up and I see this Hispanic dude, he says, hey, brother, what do you want? I'll go, hmm. oh, damn. <laughs> it's true with when I go to a sushi bar, and I, I don't mean to sound – Whatever, I'm sure this is going to be politically incorrect. But when I go to, to a sushi bar, I want to see a traditional, preferably older 
native Japanese preparing that fish. Yeah. Because I, I know I've spent a lot of time in Japan. I've studied. I've had the luxury of having people that I that are, I'm close friends with that grew up in Japan. I understand what it takes for a Japanese, a traditional Japanese sushi chef to become a actual Japanese sushi chef. And it's, it's like going through law school you oh, know, man. at school. And I look for those places because I know they're going to pick the best fish. I know they know how to make the right kind of rice. I know that they know what they're doing. When I walk into a sushi bar and it's a bunch of, 22 year old college students behind the bar. It's kind of like, <laughs> when I walk into an Irish pub, that's what I love about Irish pubs in New York city. You go to an Irish pub in New York city and everybody's there is from Ireland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for some reason the food just tastes better because of it. Yeah. You know? So if I go to a Russian restaurant or a Polish restaurant, I want native, you know, Polish or Russian people making the food because I want it to feel authentic. I don't want to feel like somebody got the recipe like I do off the Food Network. Right. <laughs> Eric, next time I next time go I go ahead. to next time I go to Mexico, I'm gonna get you some uh, some Mexican uh, seasoning for your your steaks and stuff. Because I know you like to, to grill steaks and all that fun stuff. So I'm gonna get I you do. some I'm gonna get you some good Mexican seasoning. And that, same thing, you know. My other favorite, and this one is a passion for me, more so in the last few years than I ever thought it would be, Indian food. Really? Mm. Okay. Oh, like Eastern Indian food? Yeah. yeah. I got when I was in Liverpool last week or week before, whatever it was, I found an Indian restaurant real close to the hotel we were at, walking distance, and it was the best Indian food I've ever had in my life. I went back two nights in a row. Wow. In fact, I ate so much the first night that when I walked in the restaurant the second night, they went, Oh, we're so happy you're back. Here's <laughs> that last night. Here's what you ordered last. I mean, they remembered what I ordered the night before. Wow. And so, you tried that, you should try this. If you like that, you'll like this even more. I was like, oh my gosh, I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so just, I, I want to I get down to an answer here, though. Uh, if you could only eat one taco, what would, it, what would it be? What's your favorite taco? What type of meat? Oh, it would... You know, I had a tongue taco oh, in... Yes. Uh, Eric, I love you, man. I love you for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the best tacos I've ever had. My, my son Garrett actually took me to a, a traditional family-owned... They don't speak any English, you know, Mexican restaurant in Clearwater, Florida. Okay. And it's called Lingua, right? Yeah, yeah. Ling and my uh, sister, lengua, lengua. Lengua. You, yeah. you got to try the lengua taco. So well, what's <laughs> lengua taco? And he goes, it's, it's beef taco. I said, oh, cool. I'll try that. And it was really good. Yeah. Like, really good. Now, okay, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to throw this out there. Next time you're in Los Angeles and you're up for a drive to Orange County – let me know. My dad makes the best lengua. And I will invite you over to my home and have a traditional Mexican meal. Uh, lengua tacos, some rice, some beans, all homemade. Uh, and I'll have Brother, my... It's a freaking day. There That's you go. Gonna... <laughs> That's going to happen. Awesome, man. Well, can I come? Absolutely. Yay. Yeah. Hey, can, we'll bring a camera crew. We'll film the whole thing. We'll, we'll make some money off that, of this. That, should be, that would be fun. That's some good YouTube stuff right there. Absolutely. You guys can use it for your Patreon. All right. All right. So 83 weeks. It's uh, out every Monday, Sunday night at, at midnight, uh, going into Monday morning. If you are a wrestling fan, uh, definitely dive into it. Uh, Eric, where can people find you on the, uh, the internet? Primarily on Twitter, at E. Bischoff. Uh, I do an Instagram thing. I'm, I'm kind of getting the hang of that. I'm, I'm a slow learner. 
Uh, I have to remind myself to do it, but Instagram at the Eric Bischoff. And that's about it. I don't okay. do anything else. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, st- stay on the line for just one second, all right? Eric Bischoff. Yes, it was. And I'm Ruben J. And I'm Moxie Ann. And we are out of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, that was an awesome interview, and I enjoyed just getting to sit and listen. Um, I do want to apologize to people who, who listen to this more for you, um, because they don't like me all that much. <laughs> but <laughs> that was such a fake laugh. <laughs> so sad. Uh, no, I do, want to, I, I do want to apologize for anybody who, who tuned in expecting to hear more of Moxie on the interview. Uh, I, I took the lead on this one. Because I know nothing about wrestling. Yeah, it's just a world that I know a lot more about. But I also know Eric a little bit more. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of, there's certain things I wanted to get out of him. And uh, and Moxie was so generous as to just sit there and look pretty. He was very, thank you. Thank you for calling me well, pretty. Well, I should have said look there. Look there. Thin. Thin. <laughs> look there and sit pretty. I have lost 20 pounds. <laughs> no, I said look there and, 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 and sit pretty. Look pretty and sit thin. <laughs> He was great, though. It was a pleasure having him on the show, and I hope we get to have him back sometime. Hopefully. I, I really, I, Eric is one of my favorite people in the world, and I can't wait to see what he does next. It sucks that he's no longer producing television on a regular basis. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like he says, he moves on pretty quickly. Anything that, that stood out to you on this interview that, that you want to talk about? Just the power of thought, you know? I felt like we were t- in like a TED Talk with him. I, honestly, he just kept going, but I didn't want him to stop. It was like, it was it was amazing. Um, and just kind of leaving things in the past, making sure that your thoughts have power. I, my friends all kind of look down on me for that thing that I draw on my arm because they're like, that's super unhealthy and you shouldn't push yourself like that. But the thing is you do like controlling your mind and that mental discipline is one of the hardest things that you can do. And so I think it's the thing that you should strive for. You should strive to control your emotions. You should strive to know what's good for you and how to get there. Absolutely. I think, I think Mr. Feeney said it best. Yes. I'm trying to remember the exact words. I, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you know who Mr. Feeney is? Mr. Feeney? Yeah. No, I I don't know. Is that like at the end of a silent movie when they put Feeney? (laughs) No. Um, let me see if I can find the quote. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was attractive. <laughs> Thanks. I think Mr. Feeney says, says it best. Yeah. Believe in yourselves. Mm. Dream. Selves? In yourselves. Mm. Cause, oh, he's talking to plural. Okay. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Say it again. Yeah. No, no. He, he's talking to multiple people. Okay. Uh, do you not? Have you never watched Boy Meets World? No, I haven't. Okay. You need to watch it. Okay. You need to. It, you will cry. All right. All day long. But lo- TL- I have cried all day long. TLDR, uh, it's basically the story of these guys who went from elementary school all the way through high school with the same teacher. Okay, it's really weird that there's the same teacher, but still. In the last episode, the last closing scene, Mr. Feeney says, "Believe in yourselves, dream, try, do good." Mm-hmm. And then one of that. the smart-ass students says, "You mean do well?" <laughs> And he goes, no, do good. Nice. And then an end scene. So go, do good. I will. I'm Ruben J. And I'm Moxie Ann. And we are out of time. (laughs) 
because that interview went so dang long. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this one will be an hour and 15 minutes. I apologize. We'll see you next week. And I can't figure out how to stop this damn recording. <laughs>